Welcome to Kindred Media, a nonprofit initiative of Kindred World. Kindred has gathered thought leaders, researchers, and activists exploring the new story of the human family for over 15 years. Visit our website for our new story features, interviews, podcasts, and video collections at www.kindredmedia.org. Welcome to Kindred. This is Lisa Reagan, and today I'll be talking with Jamie Grumet about her new gem of a book, Modern Attachment Parenting, The Comprehensive Guide to Raising a Secure Child. You may remember Jamie as the mother featured on the cover of Time Magazine in 2012, nursing her three-year-old son. Her follow-up interview with me in 2013, entitled The Cover Shot Heard Round the World, won two Hermes Platinum Awards and told the real story behind the scenes of the Time Magazine shoot. In our call with Jamie today, you'll hear about the fallout of the Time cover and the years following Jamie's shoot, the social bullying and trauma she endured, how she fought to preserve her relationship with her children, how attachment parenting supported her recovery, and how she is still championing parents who follow their primal instincts. Jamie's new modern attachment parenting book features the foreword by singer and AP mom, Alanis Morissette, and an introduction from AP founder, Dr. William Sears. In the book, Jamie tackles the myths and misperceptions of attachment parenting and shares her personal stories and compassion for parents and her affirmation for all parents that they are in fact enough. All right. Hi, Jamie. Hi. How are you doing? I'm so good. How are you? I'm great. And I, I'm so glad to get to revisit with you after all these years. And I'm so very happy to be holding in my hand your new book, which is an amazing gem, Modern Attachment Parenting, The Comprehensive Guide to Raising a Secure Child. This is uh, a wonderful, very modern take on attachment parenting. So thank you for this book. Oh gosh, thank you so much for for the kind words. It, I really, I'm actually really, really proud of it. It was, um, it's something that was a huge labor of love and the people who were involved in helping me with it are just like, it, it was a dream, a dream come true for me, honestly. Well, I think what you do in this book is you, you tell your story about the Time Magazine cover shoot that for those um, who don't remember in 2012, Jamie was on the cover of Time Magazine nursing her three-year-old. And for her, this was modeling what was normal for her because she's a second generation attachment parented daughter. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was breastfed until I was at least five possibly six we don't remember because weaning what just wasn't an issue it just happened so gradually um but yeah that's what my parents did with me and I co-slept with them and I mean those aren't necessarily doesn't mean you're an attachment parent but the the tenants that Dr. Sears had they followed those just by naturally it was just an instinctual thing for my mom and um they were they really they some of the the, I, I just, they nailed parts of development just so, so well. And I really appreciate it because um, it helps me with my relationships to this day. And you go into that in, in the book and this is it. This is the comprehensive guide to raising a secure child. And it's really about these baselines for lifelong wellness, 
the optimal uh, you know, actions you can take as a parent to support biological imperatives uh, for your child. But you know, what you address, and the, I think is the modern part of this book, is the truth. Uh, not just the truth about how traumatized you were by that time cover shoot, what happened afterwards and how you were attacked and your fam what your family was put through, but the truth about uh, your agony over showing up as a mother in this culture to, to you know, be bonded and attached to your children and this instinctive um, evolutionarily, you know, this is way we're, we're designed way um, so the compassion you have for parents is on every page of this book as you Thank tell you. your story. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's interesting because it's not that I, I love children, but that's not where my passion is with helping people or where I feel like I'm called. And it's really with the mothers more than, um, and, and fathers too, but I feel like, um, especially with women, we have, we're, they're so trying their best and, and really, really no one's wanting to make a, a wrong move. And that's even where some of like the, you see the anger, the judgment comes from too. It's this place of insecurity and fear and just really kind of focusing and loving and explain and being gentle, um, you know, with those new mothers. Cause society has not, it's not that we're not failing. Society's failing us. And we just have to adapt to it, it, it while it's changing right now. And we're in a really interesting time in the world because I think that this is, this is a, going to be a huge culture shift. And this is the time that we can make moves to really support women better because there's going to have to be a new normal anyway. People keep saying that term, um, which is kind of obnoxious. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, there are things that are just going to change permanently, even after this pandemic is over. And I think one of those things is, um, you know, being a better community. Right. Well, the cover of the Atlantic uh, this month, well, one of their features is what America asks of working parents is impossible and has this screaming head on it and fragmented pieces. Uh, it was an excellent uh, image to go with that article. And I, I think, you know, what you're saying about trying to find some sort of new normal is going to require us first to look at culturally, we haven't supported families, mothers, fathers, children, um, and our statistics for wellness in this country bear that out. We're at the bottom of all developed nations. So our, um, you know, what's happening now with the pandemic has really brought to the surface a lot of these uh, failures of our of our society to support parents. And uh, again, in your book, you go through this in a number of ways. And I should say on the cover of that Time magazine, was the phrase, are you mom enough? Which is such a dominator model thing to antagonize uh, the, the already uh, media created mommy wars and you know, into thinking that this is a competition and um, you're, gonna, you're not gonna enter into judging yourself and are you doing, uh, doing it the right way? You address that in your book and you say, you're enough, it's the village that's not enough. Yeah, oh, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're more than enough. And it's, it's, we, we are a social species. We, ha we do not, we cannot survive 
alone. It's just our well-being goes down. Even if we have every single thing we need to survive, we typically die earlier when we're not in community. We have really, we have health issues that pop up. Um, and uh, overall mental health is extremely low because we have, like, that's just how we've been created. That is how we've evolved. And that's, and we need to start embracing that rather than this like idea of complete autonomy, which I think is like, is a very misunderstood thing. We need to feel whole on our own. I think that's another part of the issue with jobs too, is we're there, there are companies that are forcing people to live lives that aren't theirs the majority of the week, and then put a little bit of space in for their family and for just them. And so they're not, they're not even the main character of their own story. <laughs> so it's like how much that, like that, that's the sort of autonomy we need is to feel whole all the time, every single part of our life. It's not even that we're overworked. It's just the, the lack of ability to feel like, you know, you're, you're integrated into every part of your life every single day of the week. It's like we're all part-time parents when moms need to go to work and then leave their children. And that's not, there's something about that that has really stuck with me um, just to see, because it there the guilt that gets weighed on people who are trying to just survive is um, so heavy. And it doesn't need to be like that. Like we can be a capitalist country and we can be industrialized and all of that, but we have to start re-examining how we take care of each other and how we even treat our employees. Right. Well, there is an interview on Kindred with Joan Williams, who has pioneered for 25 years this area of work-life law balance for mothers uh, and fathers in the workplace. And she says that the the worker model in the United States is based on toxic masculinity values. So this is why we have this, you know, don't just don't even bring up your family. No, you're not going to get a sick day. No, you know, you know, the, the paid leave is non-existent in our country. Um, all of the things that are, would be supportive of the parents. And so then what we did 20 years ago, um, uh, <laughs> people like me discovered attachment parenting. And I knew I had to make a choice of giving up my, uh, going into an office in pantyhose. I could do my job at home, but I, not very well. <laughs> so so yeah. I, uh, you know, but I wanted to be with my child, especially after reading uh, Dr. Sears and um, Jean Ligeloff and a lot of the books that were coming out about this neurobiological piece that you don't get to do again with children to create um, right. wellness. Right. But that means the blind spots, even back then, were tremendous about what, um, what we were really up against. At Kindred, we, call, we now call it the biocultural conflict. I didn't coin that term. Uh, Joseph Chilton Pierce did. But that we're, right. having, we're made to choose between biological imperatives and cultural imperatives. Cultural right. imperatives of paying rent and surviving and biological imperatives of bonding with our children. So your book, I think, softens the rigidity that people may have had, the perception of you know, here are the eight principles of attachment parenting. And because especially back then, you'd want to hang on to something and like, okay, these are the eight principles that I have to do. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm right. going to be martyr mom. <laughs> and your book says, no, 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 no. This is modern attachment parenting. And your stories are fantastic in here about how, and you're very humble, by the way, in sharing these, but how, how that really works out. 
Yeah, it's, I think that, and you know what, I think that the, the tenants that um, Dr. Sears or the tools that he, he put in there, I think that that was the, that was kind of the foundation or the ground of people like to be told what to do. So those are extremely helpful, but I think that they've been banged into us so much that they've gotten kind of twisted and, and people think that that is what attachment parenting is and it's not. So this is kind of, I was hoping to carry it into, you know, the, the, the modern world because attachment parenting now has become part of mainstream culture, even if it's misunderstood. So this is really like, hey, you know those things, but here's why he even said them to begin with. And so you don't actually have to do any of them technically. You just have to understand how the brain works and make, you know, you can, you can then choose what, what, and adapt that to your home and your life and whatever that looks like right now. And so it gives, it, it's a little bit more empowering for the parent, I think. It really is. It really is. And I, I love your section in here on myths and misperceptions. You go, you take these on one at a time and go through them. Um, there's so much cultural bias to, that has to be uh, really brought up to the surface so we can see why is this um, difficult in our culture? Right. Yeah, it's, it's, um, and there's so many, and, and again, like not even to try, because I think everybody's sweeping statements of like culture is messed up. It's, it's really not. The, I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. And so I don't, but the, the exchange that we have is if it's a cultural, if we're gaining something culturally, like, like a car is a great example of that. We can go, we can cover a major amount of ground every single day, right? If then we're not just hunter gatherers walking and doing low impact cardio anymore, but then we lose our, there's something that gets taken away too. And that is our low impact cardio, our heart health and things like that. So our, we have to adapt something new, which is like a treadmill or something like that. And so sometimes those are annoying and tedious, but still worth it for, you know, um, modern times. And so I wouldn't give up a car just so we have low impact cardio again. So there's certain things that we may give up that are part of our biology that we need and we can kind of, you know, mediate with something else. And then there's some things that are just like, I think broken, um, that we need to revert back to. And a lot of that is parenting. So, one of the things that's really precious about this book is the foreword by Alanis Morissette, who yes. shares how she saw you uh, on the cover and thought, I need to, I need to reach out to her. <laughs> I need to make I sure know. she's okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was so weird because I remember, you know, everybody would try to, it's just, it's, I mean, that's another psychological, it's just so typical of human behavior is people who did it. And I would see, I could see myself doing that too, it, um, to be honest, if that happened again, and it wasn't me on the cover. Um, and uh, most people were like, oh, well, everybody, I do it, but not like that. So distancing themselves from me and the cover. So there wasn't, a, I was left kind of alone. It felt really isolating but still supporting attachment parenting, which is like, I think that that's their way of trying to make it look sensible in some ways. And, um, and so, um, but I'm, I'm still a person, <laughs> so it still didn't feel very good. And um, the first time I remember my ex-husband was reading something and I guess the Atlantis said something about me. I'd never met her before. And he was like, Alanis Morissette said um, that she agreed and, and said everything positive about you. And I was like, what? And then she wrote an entire article for the Huffington Post and was extremely kind um, when she was talking about me in it. And this was before we had met. And then um, we happened to share the same pediatrician. So she asked for 
him to connect us. And um, so he did. And, and then now she's, she's my best friend. Um, she's, she's like family. She's like my sister. Um, and, um, but it was just that, it, again, it was her complete full immersement and understanding as a scholar, not only as just someone who under an expert in, in attachment, but she's, you know, true academic and really, really put in the work to understand attachment where she had enough empathy to think about me too. And so I think that says a lot about her. Well, can you talk a little about the aftermath of the Time Magazine cover? Because I know in your book, you go into you know, realizing you were still recovering from birth trauma and, uh, you know, again, being raised um, as a second generation attachment parenting child, you're modeling what you know. Um, and in celebration of the 20th anniversary of attachment parenting back then, but there were some real dark times after that cover. Oh, it was awful. I think that I couldn't eat. I think I probably, I got down to like 80 pounds because it was just, I was so stressed out that the, it, it's a strange feeling of, of not being able to every, you, it was felt like impending doom. It was just this anxiety, this massive, massive amount of anxiety. And it kind of went from my post birth trauma that wasn't being treated. Um, Cause at that point, it'd been over three years. And so, and I would, that was, I was still dealing with that, but it kind of, everything got refocused into the trauma from the aftermath of the cover. And also not wanting to play the victim was a really important thing for me. And I didn't have the understanding at that time or that age that like, so I look back at myself and it's like makes, I look and think of how sweet she was. Cause she was trying her hardest. Like, I didn't want it to make it look like how dare they or poor me or anything like that. I was like, no, I chose, I willingly knew and chose to do this. And I wasn't expecting the aftermath of that, but I was like, Hey, that this happens. And it's kind of just what you have to kind of just suck it up and deal with it. Um, and not say anything negative because that was your choice. So really trying to just own the fact that I did that, even if I wasn't happy, but there was still um, an immense amount of trauma from, um, a lot of other things and I needed to be, I needed to acknowledge it a little bit better and I needed to take care of myself more. Um, and so uh, that not doing that and just trying to, it's a, it's a, that's a, what we teach boys too, is just suck it up and move on. You know, it's like, you can't, life isn't fair and it's not. And we're not by understanding our trauma and healing and growing, we're not playing the victim. We're literally just acknowledging why we feel or we behave the way we do that may and we can use that as power to really change our entire well-being um and yeah i wish i wish that i i was around for my 26 year old self when all that happened <laughs> but i'm not uh, i wasn't yeah yeah don't we all yeah. <laughs> but you, know, you are here now for a lot yeah. of 26 year olds with yeah. this book you really really are I hope um, so. I know. I know. That's the, and that's the one thing that makes it all feel kind of like it's worth it. Even after I had help syndrome, it was just, you know, working overseas, even with women who were dying of preeclampsia and um, being able to provide something so that, that, that it wasn't even that they wouldn't, they were experiencing the same thing as me. It's just that I understood that I was surviving because of where I was living at the time and you know certain like situationally I was really really lucky and so being able to help other people who were going have gone through similar things as me or are going to go through them and just prep them and have them be more prepared than I was is like that's that is healing for me too well in this section in your book on parenting through judgment 
you talk about how you came out the other side of the trauma by returning to this, you know, to your instinct and, and the attachment parenting background supported you through that return to yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's so funny. And I think that that's why, um, you know, and, and that's also the attachment and being securely attached is is also, I think, why things hurt the way they did too, because you have people that are like, I can't believe, you know, this is just about attention or this or that which is a whole other thing. Like we need, we're social, we need attention, but it wasn't like, I think that they were talking about it as like almost like <laughs> exploitative attention. And I'm just, uh, and, and that doesn't feel good because I was attachment parented. Right. So like the reasons that I was, wasn't dealing with it was because I don't have some sort of antisocial personality disorder where I could actually probably feed into all of that negative attention and make it some, you know, get off on it in some way, you know? So it was a, um, the irony of that, but it's also what he, it helped heal me too, was I was like, this is negative, which is good because fame is such an addictive thing too. So if I didn't, I think that I see how things go wrong for people who not only are just, you know, lay people like me who weren't expecting it or people who have sought fame and they're already traumatized, probably for the reason they're seeking it. And then they just get re, you know, I think even Alana said it, she goes, they, they get re-traumatized by the fame. It's not a pleasant experience at all, and, but it's addictive. And, and so um, those are all parts of, of attach, of like, of, um, you know, in unsecure attachment and attachment issues in, in adults, which can still be healed. Um, it's just a lot different when you're dealing with those stages of development. Um, and yeah, and you're, you're getting them when they're children. So, um, or in, in very early months of attachment too, if we go, I mean, it goes into that into the book as well. Right. So earlier you were talking about how your travel around the world also prepared you, not just your, your childhood for having this normalized view of attachment and bonding. Uh, can you speak to that for a moment? Um, yeah, so I started, I mean, I was traveling with my parents since I was like a, since I was very, very little. I think I had my second birthday over in France overseas and we were staying, you know, we were staying in the south of France in like in a, in a cave or something. So I've, I've had, I've been able to have this really privileged life from the beginning of being able to see other cultures um, and, and, go, and from all ends, from high, high, high like extremely um wealthy developed western countries to very underdeveloped countries um and really being able to kind of just observe what i've witnessed in each place and um that really really helped me solidify my views on i was already parented like that so it didn't seem uh, like kind of jarring to look at which is normal if it is when you just haven't been exposed to it but for me it was just so it was so normal you'd um, when i was living in ghana the the youngest that you would find a child weaned and that was if they're most of the time if they had a parent who had died um and they they need to go find a lactating relative was uh was three like three was basically so it was just it was so typical and and there's reasons for it in places where nutrition is not the same as it is here but it doesn't it doesn't make any difference that it's still positive here it's just not it's not about survival, life and death survival anymore as it is in another place. But you also see the community aspect of cross nursing and wet nursing and, um, 
and really how it, it brings an entire community together because everybody kind of takes care of everyone else's children. No one's tapped out because of that too. You don't want to put a bunch of moms in a mom group that all have six month old babies. Your hormones are making you insane. Like that's just your, your hormones are trying to keep that baby alive right now. So you're not going to be what you would be, you know, not pregnant and single anymore. You have this, this child that is, you know, coming into the world very early from other primates and your body is basically making you like, if you feel a little nuts, you kind of are. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And so putting a bunch of, in, a bunch of insane women together in a mom's group and expecting all of them to get along first off or support each other is the most ins like, crazy idea I've ever heard in my life. It's what you see in other cultures is different elders, younger women, um, you know, even men pop in here and there too. You see, it's like everybody in the community is taking care of this baby and mom is the primary caregiver, but she is also allowing this child to get raised by different generations with her. And she's, she's, it's not an exhaustive feeling like it is here because we're, we're hoarding this child um, and then expecting to get all of our get all of our emotional support with a bunch of people who are not doing well either, frankly. I mean, it's, if that's what they're getting too. So. Which is why Dr. Sears, and you point this out in your book under balancing uh, and boundaries, uh, put in his work in all caps, if you resent it, change it. <laughs> because yes. that's not the culture we're in. We don't have aloe mothers, as they're called, all over the place waiting to step in for us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just a, yeah, that's, that's the other thing too. If, if, if you are feeling resentful towards anything and your yourself, your child, first off, it's normal. That's normal. You're not a bad person. You didn't like, you're not weak or anything like that. There's something wrong. So you have to change it to adapt And that night weaning is a great thing. I wouldn't have been able to breastfeed as long as I could if I didn't night wean Aram around two, I think, because I hadn't slept in two years at that point. Because he still was, I thought it would just stop on its own. And I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I was like, you know what? I'm a crazy person now. I think they say if you don't sleep for two days straight, you're like, you're certifiably insane. And so um, I was like, it's been two years. It's happening. I'm for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I did the ninja mom trying to just get out of bed without creaking anything. So oh, I know. Wake up. <laughs> I know you breathe and they wake back up and you're just like, I don't understand how this happens. Um, yeah, I would just start. I, I know there were so many different things I did just that I think people thought I was crazy for doing them, but they were they just made my life a little bit easier. Like I wore Aram as long as humanly possible in the in the Ergo Baby front pack just during his naps the whole time during his naps because I was like he's not gonna I can be as loud as I want he's for whatever reason does not wake up in there and it was like it did kind of hurt my back eventually when he got too big but it, people were like why don't you just put him down and you can have alone time I'm like that that adds more stress to my day than just carrying him around while I'm doing the dishes or whatever which I could do and he wouldn't wake up it was crazy um, so anyway well, you know, another really rich section in this book is attachment parenting and adopted child because you got right. to do that. 
Yeah, yeah, that was, um, and that was a kind of learning experience even for our adoption specialists and for me and for, I mean, everybody that we, we and, and I met some moms who had done it before me too, but we, it's, we were all kind of figuring this out together because there's not a lot of information on it too. And, um, and so that was really exciting for me to be able to talk about because I do think that it's a little bit, um, it's a little unusual, especially with an older child. Um, you don't expect that. Um, it was an international adoption. Um, and, and so being able to attach, to have him, you know, be raised in, in an attachment style, which was how he was raised basically from birth on before he came into our family. Um, that was really, really rewarding for me. Um, so, and he's so sweet now. <laughs> it was a continuation of care for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was something like being able to breastfeed him, um, which was completely encouraged by our adoption specialist. He was like, give him everything you would give um, your biological son. So allowing him and seeing that he was still suckling properly was really, really interesting um, because it meant for sure he had been breastfed, you know, recently. They lo lose the ability to suckle, um, you know, when, when a lot of time has passed. And so you realize at that point too, he's just lost literally everything. He's lost his culture. He's lost anybody who looks like him at that point, you know, just coming into our family, his language. Um, he's, it, there's all this trauma of not having his, you know, his mother anymore. And then, um, you know, it was like one thing from home that I could give him. And so, and it really helped Aram understand and solidify Samuel's place in our family because it was the thing that Aram only got from me. So when he saw that, I think he saw he wasn't a friend coming over to play. He was his equal. And, um, and that really helped us all attach to each other because it takes a minute. You, don't, you can't just give someone a baby and expect them to immediately bond with that. Or, uh, and especially a small child. I kept thinking I was babysitting someone's child when he came home. And then I was like, it, it just took a second. And I kept thinking, I'm like, when is his mom going to come pick him up? Then I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, like you just, it's this feeling of like you're watching someone else's child because it's not natural. Then your brain starts to adapt and develop and, and then just latch on. And so, I mean, it's, it's sounds silly even to say now because he's, I don't even like Samuel and Aram are exactly the same. I don't think, I don't look at them differently. I don't see them differently. I think of them both as like my blood too. So it's just this, it's this thing your brain just wires to, to, to connect. You know, I've watched your children grow up over the years, and they're becoming young men now. They're more than, I mean, Samuel is like a, a full-grown adult man. I think he's almost six feet tall now. He's, oh his voice changed. I know. He's so funny. He's, I know, he's become a really, really close, like, a friend, too. He's a, he's a, I mean, still his mom. It's not like a buddy-buddy thing, but he's like, I have so much fun with him, and, and just because he's now... So he's grown up that we have conversations and I'm just, I, I'm just so, I feel so lucky to be able to have them and, and appreciate even these stages. It's really sad to see old videos though. I found one the other day and, um, and I was looking at them and I'm like, oh my God, they're so cute. They're, I was like, did I know they were this cute then? And I was like, why don't, why didn't I realize they were this cute? And I was talking, actually, I was talking to Alanis about it. She goes, it's because we're all just trying to hold it together then that we can't even realize it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, I was like, why didn't I know this at the time? I was like, I was beside myself with how cute they were. And I was like, why didn't, why wasn't I thinking this every day? And it's just because we're so tired <laughs> that, that uh, we're just trying to keep it together and take care of them. Um, 
Yeah. Well, well, your family situation changed in the last couple of years. So another group that you're able to speak to are single mothers and single parents. Yeah, yeah. I, I got a divorce in, in that time frame, too. And um, I mean, I think 50% of, of marriages end in divorce. I'm, I'm a, that's a big group of people that probably, I think a lot of attachment people stay married, which is, I mean, honestly, my marriage was the strongest when we were, and I think I talk about it in the book, is um, when we were the most, like, hard, not going to say hardcore, but, like, in the midst of attachment to where the, the children are the most needing it. Like, when they grow up, it's a different sort of attachment, right? And there's more, like, the child has more autonomy. Um, but when, like, from two to five, I think is, like, a really, it's a big, big age for, for attachment. And um, that was when my marriage was strongest, honestly, with my ex-husband. Um, those were the times, so I think people think that it causes divorce or it's too much focus on the child, and it's really not. And I was, I was my happiest in my marriage. And so was, I, I, can speak for for Brian to say that that was probably the strongest time for him in our marriage as well. So, um, and you see a lot of attachment. Like I, there's so many reasons why we got divorced. Have nothing to do with our family. Um, uh, and um, yeah, I think that 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 is something that needs to be talked about too. Um, and there are a lot of single parents, and it makes it it does make it a lot harder, especially if you're not co-parenting. If it's just you and you're solely parenting and you want to be attachment, um, it's 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 a little it, it can it can be really complicated. So um, just trying to speak to them. And I don't have that situation. I have I have a co-parent that's very like just as pre present as I am. So um, I want to be wanted to be as kind as I could without making it sound like I knew everything that about that situation as well. Right. Well, I know Dr. McKenna and his sleep study work talk about um, single parents um, and working parents. You know, one of the reasons he does his uh, co-sleeping studies is because it's normal in this country for parents to come home and want to have the bonding time that they're allowed to get uh, with their babies and children are, is going to happen at night. So, uh, this piece of uh, the the single and, and working parent and being able to do att attachment parenting or being able to have this piece of it um, has been addressed by him and, I, and of course you do in your book as well. So. Yeah, I and that's the big thing for. I remember even that for me. I didn't realize with the divorce, you know, then you suddenly it's it's a very it's abnormal. It's not supposed to be like that. I'm not like it's it's really having your children leave you for. A portion of a week or whatever the time frame is 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 not no matter what like there's a grief to that too and there's it's not normal it's not supposed to be like that but it is right so like that's just you know that sometimes happens um and so for me it was like I didn't realize how much co-sleeping with them when they when they were littler really really helped me during that time to reconnect because I was getting as much time as I could with them but now Aram is finally the about six months ago I'd say maybe even longer I don't know I can't remember but he is now too old to not when he doesn't want to like sleep with me you know when they're little and they still want to jump in bed or whatever it was just like he has no interest he doesn't want to be he just doesn't want it and I like that was really hard for me because that was how I was reconnecting with them when they came came to my house um and so yeah I've noticed it because I don't have it anymore how much how big of a deal it really is so it's a uh such a positive thing. I mean, Dr. McKenna goes into very specifically if you're breastfeeding, you know, when the baby's younger, 
um, what's safe and what isn't safe. That goes, it's in my book. And that really, it, that really does matter. Um, it's um, it's uh, one of those things that just for safety reasons, for sure to, to make sure you check out. Um, but yeah. That's right. We have all kinds of uh, interviews and uh, articles from uh, Dr. McKenna and he, he had a new uh, safe infant sleep book that came out, I think it was last year. So I know I love him. I just adore him so much. Uh, he really he's, does. So, well, again, I'm just, I'm very happy. I'm so happy that this book exists and that you were able to pour so much of your heart and experience and compassion into it for parents. And I'm just wondering, is there anything else that you would like to share? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I think that I mean, for, for me, I think one of the main things to talk about when I've been, I've been discussing this with the, some of the funniest people will, because I'll meet them and it's a totally different industry, um, but they'll, and, it's, and a lot of them it is men, and they will like find out about me or the fact that I have this book or use the fact that, you know, I'm considered a parenting expert, which is still funny I mean I am I'm an anthropologist I really I, I own that but I still think it's funny just because of how much like I'm not in the world of moms very like in that world of, of parenting baby items and things like that very often I'm more I'm in a different kind of um, social time of my life um, so it's it's really sweet when people start asking me those questions and it's before they have kids um, a lot of the time, and they'll be really interested in what I have to say about it too. And um, and a lot of the people, the way that I see that they're concerned is that they're asking, you know, if it, they're lost causes because they didn't have that sort of parenting or they've had a lot of trauma or something like that. And and there's that's not true at all. There is like if you have, we all have some sort of attachment issues. If you have insecure attachments, you know, chances are you're a lot. I think most of us are anxious avoidant. That is just because of our society. It's not even necessarily your parent necessarily. It's just like the trauma that we face as a society as a whole. Um, and you can still, you can, it's not even correct. You can still heal from that. Um, and there's a lot of books on, I think they're in the resources part of my, um, of my book, but there's, it's about um, secure attachment and in adult relationships too. So like, that's a big thing is it's not just about your kids. It's about you too. It's about, I mean, really connectedness and community is how we operate like a, like a well-oiled machine. So society will get better from it. Basically our ideas will get better. We'll become, you know, it's everything kind of reverts back down to to this as as a a foundation for making us functional and healthy um and so you can too also if you've don't you're not a lost cause if you you have an, an attachment disorder um which we all probably do and um there are resources to actually look into it just for yourself as well that's right and you said that might even be your next book yeah yeah that's what i'm kind of hoping to focus on is um adult attachment because it's it is so misunderstood and i think um, in the academic world, there's a lot, there's a lot of research on it, but it hasn't really gone mainstream for a, a lay person. And I think that that's, if I have a gift, that's one of the things is just um, connecting people and also being able to, I think, explain things in a way that, that isn't intimidating, I hope, in some ways. So it's just kind of more um, applied because that's how I think of it too. It's, it's not, 
you know, me getting down, looking, you know, getting down on my knees and explaining it to a child. It's really like, this is how I, I look, I view things that I've, I'm understanding in the academic world and then applying it to my own life. Cause I need that too. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. And then what we find out anyway, is that we grow up with our children. So, you know, you kind of get to do your own childhood all over again anyway. So you might as well. <laughs> Oh, it's so healing. understand these things. <laughs> it's so, it's absolutely, no, that's so healing. And then also even with adult um, relationships too, friendships, romantic relationships is that, you know, if they're healthy, we're healing each other's trauma through them because if people are showing up in the way that they should. So choosing those people wisely is always a good idea as well, including friends. All right. Well, thank you so much again for coming on and talking with us. And I, I just love this book. We are going to be posting some excerpts from it over the next couple of weeks. Um, okay. So keep an eye out for those. And um, there will be a transcript with this um, interview with lots of hyperlinks and resources as well. So where would you like people to find you these days, Jamie? Oh, I guess, um, I guess my Instagram. Um, I don't know. I don't really, I'm, I'm just... I'm not really anywhere anymore. You can go to at J-G-R-U-M-E-T if you want to talk to me. I'm on Instagram, but I'm, I'm not really, uh, not really, I try to just kind of go off of social media for a little while. It's been, it's been nice. It's been healing. So I still go on there, but it's just, it's more of just a personal account. I think you're being a trendsetter there as well. <laughs> people are getting really off. helpful. People, people who watched the movie, The Social Dilemma recently are definitely getting off. So. Oh, yeah. No, I keep hearing about that. Everybody keeps talking about that. And I have had text messages of people going, I'm going to throw away my phone. I'm like, where is this coming from? It's that documentary apparently is making people. <laughs> yeah, I was so innocent. I thought I was just being pitched ads. And I was like, I'm not buying that stuff anyway. But that's not what's happening. We're being emotionally manipulated and programmed 100%. to be rage machines or reactive. And uh, uh, it was so insidious. So, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, okay. Yeah, I know. It's so Thank good to talk you. to you, though. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.